welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, episode number seven, Recovery's Four Essential Quadrants. Well, good morning, good day, good night. Goodbye. No, we're just rocking here. We're just starting. This is episode seven of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. And uh, we've been having such a great time here. We just, it's like a high point of our week to get together and have this conversation. So I hope you guys are feeling the same way. And we have a really interesting uh, um, show today. We're really going to dive into the meat of the map, a meaty map, if you will. But before that, I wanted to share before the show started, uh, Doug uh, Prater here is a very interesting individual, and one of the things he's been in his life was a professional zombie. <laughs> okay, and uh, waking, wake, wake, walking dead. Walking, is that the name? walking yeah, dead. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I got to see it now. So he's been a season being a zombie, uh, at least one season. And <laughs> the I waking said, well, dead—that's recovery. Yeah, you're That's right. That's waking showing. Up you know, that's that's the uh, the yep. integral recovery, <laughs> waking the dead. Um, but anyway, he, he, I said, well, you know, when you were doing these scenes and these horrific scenes you described, uh, did you do your own sounds or did they sound in there? And he said, no, we did our own sound. And he did about 15 seconds of this, unless, and I was terrified. So he said, from now on, if Bob and me start getting off, uh, off the beam, he's going to start making zombie sounds just to kind of bring us back to center. <laughs> got to so, keep these guys in line. Got to keep us in line. So anyway, it's just amazing. So today we're going to start exploring, you know, the, we, we say the journal of integral recovery. Well, we know that integral is kind of a word that means holistic, you know, bringing it all together, how things integrate. And the, one of the things I've said about, well, what, you know, every, almost every treatment center in the United States, at least anyway, in Canada, if you go to the website, it says holistic treatment, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, what does that mean? It's like, the old thing, you know, the Eskimo word for snow, you know, they have a bunch. I don't know if that's true or not, but people have used that thing. So, yeah, holistic <laughs> depends who you are. You know, it can mean anything. It can mean eating, like, uh, herbs or, I mean, green stuff or uh, uh, non-chemical pure food or doing lots of yoga and meditating. I don't know. It can mean a bunch of things. Yeah. But that's when I first started um, – in, in the, the recovery industry, well, actually, I wouldn't start it, but the first time I was designing my own program, I knew it had to be holistic. I knew it had to take things a little beyond what we were getting in 12 steps. You know, as wonderful and all, good as all that stuff is, that we needed to include nutrition. We needed exercise. We needed really to focus on meditation and all these things. But I didn't quite know what, you know, how to do it. And I put it all together in this program. It's called Passages to Recovery. It was a wilderness um, uh program for young adults. They weren't even young. Some of them weren't. Uh, they were focusing. We'd go out in the wilderness and spend six, seven, eight weeks, nine weeks, and we'd work on our stuff. So I was, I was moving toward that. And then I found Ken Wilber's later writing, or Wilber 5, they say, when he started introducing the this integral aqual, A-Q-A-L, which stands for all quadrants, all lines, all levels, all states, and all types, which we will explain. And I read this 40-page paper, and it's just like, oh, my God. Here it is. This is the Rosetta Stone. You guys remember the Rosetta Stone was this this um, this obelisk they found of Napoleon's troops and scientists found it in, in Egypt when Napoleon invaded um, Egypt early on in the Napoleonic Wars, and they found this thing, and it had Egyptian hieroglyphics, and it had Babylonian and Assyrian or something. 
but it had the hieroglyphics were never known. Nobody knew what all the chicken scratching was on all these Egyptian objects and in the tombs and stuff. It was just unknown. And then they had this, it was an obelisk that translated them all, all these different languages. And so, oh, you could compare the three languages we knew and put it to the hieroglyphics and all of a sudden it opened the history of ancient Egypt and everything. So it was kind of that kind of experience. It's like, oh yeah, bam, bam, bam. This is how it all fits together. You know, it's like, doing. Anyway, so had one of those, those light bulb moments <laughs> or doing moments. And uh, I got really excited about it. And I started calling up the Integral Institute in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, they were like, oh, another nutcase. I was like, you know, you don't know anybody that knows the Integral Recovery. Click, you know, thank you very much. Click. So anyway, I didn't get any help. But I was in such a, a state of breakthrough ecstasy. I said, those guys are so busy. God bless them. They're working for me. I didn't feel offended or anything. And so I, I, then I finally I figured out, well, it doesn't seem anybody's doing it. And that was the birth of my my uh, uh, efforts in integral recovery. And later on, I found there had been a paper written in a journal, some sort of journal, that some people had actually uh, talked about integral and recovery. And I spent a long time trying to find the three individuals, and they'd all disappeared. Or maybe they were pseudonyms that some guy had used. Anyway, I could never find those guys. So I'm the kind of the guy that ran with and stuck with it, at least. So, so that was it. And so let's talk about... Um, the model. Oh, and we have, we, we'd like to, to have a cool quote. And here's one from Ken Wilber, who is kind of the, you know, the granddaddy of all this. We took his model and applied it to this. And one of the, the good things about um, learning this stuff and applying it to recovery, which I consider the obvious low-hanging fruit of integral, it's so obvious, is that you'll be able to take it then and apply it to everything. You know, once it's, it's not just about recovery, it's not just about, you know, your journey or this or starting treatment centers. It's about being a better scientist or a father or a mother or whatever, a musician. You can apply it to everything. Yeah, there's integral so, business and integral art and integral psychology. Everything, and just about everything, everything that human beings do can really be just taken from, Ken said one time, it's like the whole world is a square and then it becomes a cube. There's just a new dimensionality uh, and it's just everything. It's just, whoa, shifted. So take my word for it and see if it ain't true as we move into this. But the Ken quote, Ken Wilber quote is to break out of prison. Okay. To break out of prison and addiction is a prison. You lose your freedom to be who you are and you become more enslaved to these overpowering, compelling uh, cravings and drives to break out of prison. You need a good map. Okay. So you don't just start, I want to break out and you find a wall and you start beating your head or clawing, trying to get out. No, you really need to find where if you ever saw uh, a movie, Clint Eastwood escape from Alcatraz, you know, they really had to figure this stuff out. So it takes a lot of work. You have to have a good map. So I'll be quiet for a second. And anybody want to riff off of that? AA created a map for us as well with the 12 steps. And that's a really important starting place as well. What integral does is in true integral spirit, it, includes that and uses everything good about it, as well as adding all these other dimensions that we've talked about of practice, um, really emphasizing the meditation and physical aspects, the proper sleep and nutrition and exercise, um, waking up, growing up, cleaning up and showing up, as they say, to really give us what we need to become the best versions of ourselves, in addition to breaking free from this prison that uh, kept us trapped. Amen, Ron. John, I find you so flipping entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a, I, I'm a, I was I was rolling with that, and I said, "Oh, Doug's going to do the zombie sound and freak me out." So I better, I better. Stop. You know, there's, 
There's a psychoanalyst, James Masterson, that says that one of the, the indirect indicators of, of being your true self is humor. And John, my God, you must be the avatar then of true selfness, right? <laughs> no, and so and maybe maybe part of what we're saying here is that that we're looking, we're look, we're working with a map, but that the map is not the territory, you know, the menu is not the meal, and we 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 want to hold it lightly too. Our lives are our lives, and this map is meant to be suggestive. But uh, I think the humor is part of that. Is let, let's uh, let's enjoy ourselves along the way. Yeah, and the map is not the meal, but the map is a lightning bolt jolt. Okay, it it yeah. does have its own power. I was I, I was talking uh, to uh, to Ken about that one time, very early on. You know, he he was so supportive, so kind. He's yeah. a little funky guy from uh, Utah, and uh, he was saying that that you know we we're talking about meditation and you know exercise and all the different things that we we're putting together. To, to really heal and change the brain. He says, well, you know, the map is psychoactive also. Yeah. And I went, oh, wow. It yeah. really, the frick is, you know? And there are actual studies, anyway, I won't get into that because they haven't been published yet, but there's actually some, some um, uh, apparently evidence that they can actually start to see the physical changes in the brain as we move up to these levels of, of, uh, of um, evolutionary development and that this kind of integral way of seeing things with or without the map, because people have been pushing into that integral thing. You've never heard of Ken Wilber. He just elucidated it so beautifully, is that you can actually see the structure of the brain starting to evolve and change, and which makes sense because there's no, uh, as we'll see, there's no, anything you can do on the interior is reflected on the exterior and vice versa. So anyway, we'll move yeah. into that. That's part I, of the I, integral I thought, thing. I thought in response to the business of a map being psychoactive, John, you and I have been to these two conferences in years running in Boulder, the first one was on uh, uh, Buddhism from an integral perspective. The second was on Christianity from an integral perspective. Sure. And think of the buzz in the room when this map, this cube is being provided and you have one aha experience after another and it's going on in real time. And that's psychoactivity if there is any. I mean, that's really amazing to witness and be a part of that, to participate in that. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's uh, so... Um, it makes me it, think also of, of there's a social psychologist, Kurt Lewin, who says, I love this quote, he says, there's nothing so practical as a good theory is that, you know, if we have a good map, if we have a good theory, it doesn't, people will, will uh, bash uh, being too theoretical and, they, and it can be taken to extreme, but if you don't have a good theory, if you don't have a good map, then you're not even in the game. So I, I think there's a lot of value in this psychoactive, uh, psychoactive maps, bring them on. Yeah. You know, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as we get into stages of development. And one of the things that the kind of the pluralistic, um, counterculture, green, yeah, yeah. holistic culture really was reacting against modernism and capitalism, industrialism, and all stuff. They became anti-intellectual. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, it yeah. just be with your heart, be with your feelings, you know, which is all really good advice. And it's part of the healing things that people who are too caught up in the analytic, objective, you know, yeah. scientific or scientism worldview need to heal. Yeah. However, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. And so yeah. as you move into these integral, these higher level developments, you actually begin to honor the brain and the heart together. And then you have a really wonderful yeah. thing, a, yeah. a, a, yeah. a, a, a wonderful mind held and, and energized by an open, beautiful, loving heart. You know, boy, that's a great picture. Well, in integral practice, we talk about, uh, mind, the body, the spirit, and the shadow as the four core components that we need to be working on every day and studying the map, studying philosophy in general, but the integral map in particular requires a stretching of the mind to 
study and comprehend, and naturally you will uh, increase in the cognitive line of development by integrating your understanding of this model into your everyday life and learning to see things in these terms, bringing them together. Uh, and thus studying the map itself is an important part of development that um, Ken says that the cognitive line of development is uh, necessary but not sufficient to grow in the other areas. So it's important that we focus on that cognitive line too by studying the work, not just Ken's work, but all the related work sure. so that we can expand our capacities in every dimension and recover. Yeah, and you were talking about the lines. That's part of the map too, and we'll get into that. And we're 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 talking our way around. And by the way, this is a this is a plug for Texas State, where Doug and I got our bachelor's degree. So it's like, go Bobcats, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they have you know, it's a really great university with maybe the worst football team. In oh America. man! It's just, you know, I'm always like, well, you know, they're Division One, so I turned it on. This yeah. season, it was like 62 to 3, you know, in the second quarter. Like, oh, yeah, I, I like to pretend I'm a Longhorn. <laughs> yeah. Go Bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> but come on, guys. We know. We know you can do it. Get it, get it together. <laughs> it is Texas. There got to be talent around there. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, let's get into this map thing. So the first part of the map are the four quadrants. And I am a bit dyslexic when it comes to left and right because I'm left-handed. So I'm always saying the wrong quadrant, wrong side. But anyway, so there's four quadrants. And what the four quadrants are, there are four dimensions of reality that have to be accounted for in every occasion. Oh, you're going to miss something really huge and essential, you know. And I often thought that if the integral map was nothing but the four quadrants, that in itself would be sufficient to cause a revolution. So, um, hey, you want you guys want to run with it? Start, you know, talking about let's. I, I like to start with the the upper right quadrant because, as we were saying in an earlier podcast, that addiction is a disease, a physical disease. We know we know the organ, we know the defect, we know the symptom. Eh, you got to pay for it. Insurance companies maybe not so much anymore. But anyway, so to be accepted as a real thing, it has to be a physical disease that can be accounted for. So it's good to start with that way, but you could actually start anywhere, but I've always just started there for the heck of it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I used to teach family therapy classes in, in graduate schools here in Southern California. And I would, uh, uh, the family therapists have taken on the so-called medical model as the enemy. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the evil one. And, uh, and it, ain't, would, it ain't hard to do, you know, no, if you look at just the negative no. stuff. Well, then I would, then I would jokingly say my family actually is the medical model. <laughs> Everybody in my family, except for myself is in the medical profession. And how that manifests is that you, I, I grew up with, uh, you know, journals on the, on the dinner table of liver surgeries and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. And then you go, oh, not liver again. Um, but but I'm very familiar with it, having grown up with it, and it's it and and it uh, the the virtues and of, and the limitations of it. It's where you look at the upper right hand quadrant is where you look at uh, like what's going on for the individual from an external or from an empirical or a scientific whatever those two equated perspective. And so I can remember uh, uh, in a practical way at the dinner table or at the breakfast table coming in and wanting to share a dream in my family, the medical model. And uh, uh, predictably, the response would be, I think it was the pizza you had last night, Bobby. <laughs> and so you just look at in whatever's going on, you look at it from a, an outsider perspective and you attribute it to something, 
physical, something that you can measure, something that you can weigh. And at its worst, you get, you used the word scientism earlier. At its worst, you get to where uh, scientism equals the only thing that's real is that which is quantifiable. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I grew up in some ways in that kind of environment with the limitations of that. But uh, you can't get away with ignoring that. I find it ironic that right now in the work I do with addiction, I teach people about addiction in the brain as a way to get into the interiority or the subjectivity of addiction. So they're not separated. It's not like you demonize one and substitute for all the others. It's just that this is, this is the entry point of modern science. Most of modern psychology is focused at, at this point, contemporary psychology, on their upper right-hand quadrant. So it's the looking at the individual from an outside empirical scientific perspective that's my start how does that sound you guys yeah and, and reducing everything to just uh, to the material you know yeah. to what the objective stuff you know the stuff that you can amputate inject medicate uh eradicate whatever you know and measure and look at and all that stuff and it's like and that that's the upper upper right quadrant and you can apply this to anything to hamsters to organizations whatever we're talking about an individual now who's suffering with the disease of addiction struggling with that and so it's a physical body Okay. And those of you who uh, are addicts, I mean, you know, I don't know who's listening to this, but who are struggling with it now or done it in the past or seen your loved ones or colleagues or, you know, friends, uh, your family members struggle with this. There's a deterioration of physical health, right? Because the increased need for the substance and the lack of exercise and lack of food and the lack of essential vitamins and nutrients and everything, the body just becomes really, really messed up. And so, and, and the, the essential brain chemicals, the serotonin and dopamine have really been used up and depleted and things like cortisol and CRF that are, that are associated with depression, with cravings, with anxiety are really spiked up and the brain is just really functioning in really unhealthy ways. And so as a place to start, you have to get persons away from drugs, have to stop taking drugs as a first step. Then you have to start cleaning the body up right? And strengthening the body. And with that, we use super nutrients. And I think supplements and all that kind of stuff is really, really good because the body is so depleted. You know, people say, well, you should just eat healthy food. Yeah, but we're playing backup here. You know, we're like, we're like uh, Texas State in the second quarter. It's 63, 61 to three. And we really got to do something different, right? We really, (laughs) why the quarterback for going on? So, um, you know, so you have to, uh, you have to take care of that stuff. And that's, that's the, that's the first ground, if you will, stage. But if that's all it is, then you miss boom, moving into the left hand, the upper left hand quadrant, which is your interior. Yeah. Okay. Your experience of being an addict, your experience of being alive, your, your stories, what you think about the world, your even unconscious ones that you were handed to uh, by your family, you know, or your, your origin or being the nerdy guy in school that got bullied or whatever these things, you know, uh, you got and, and, in, in the, the attic has just, you know, garbage in, garbage out. I mean, it's the, the, the toxicity of the drugs just increases more over time. And so the interior life becomes, you know, it's about depression and anger and fear and resentment and, and hatred, self-hatred and hatred of others and despair and, you know, suicidality and just on and on. So that stuff has to be worked on. And of course the work, as we begin to heal the physical body, it will have, uh, a positive effects because you start restoring, you know, healthy uh, uh, neurochemistry and, and, and the balance of left and right hemisphere and all these things are going on. So it's going to start making progress. And one of the truths about the quadrants is that anything good or positive you do in any quadrant lifts and supports 
health in the other quadrants. Not the whole job, but it, but you're going to feel the influences there. Conversely, anything negative you do, like, oh, let's go do meth again, is going to hurt everything in the other quadrant. So, um, well, you know, anyway, let's, Bob, you're a psychologist. Okay, so Maybe you talk let, about that. Let me dive in for just a second. Sure, absolutely. About how these two, the upper, uh, the upper right and the upper left, intersect with each other. There's, uh, there's been a series of studies called the uh, Studies of the Adverse Childhood Experiences, the ACE studies, and nearly 100% of an addicted population have statistically significant elevations in adverse childhood experiences. In any other phrase, that'd just be trauma, childhood trauma, nearly 100%. And I'm talking about significant elevations. And so that would, that's, that's a left-hand, upper left-hand experience in terms of my personal trauma, it's also related to relationships, which we'll talk about in a minute. But that, so what goes in the upper right-hand quadrant with trauma are elevated, chronically elevated cortisol levels, which is just stress hormones. And so the biology of trauma is that you have people that have elevated uh, cortisol levels. As one client of mine said, who was an RN, she says, Bob, I'm sick and tired of barbecuing in my own adrenaline, is that to yeah. the extent that you've experienced chronic developmental trauma, you're going to have elevated adrenaline and cortisol levels. And so if you address the one, John, this is just to get to your point. If you address the one, if we can find some way to lower my stress hormone, my stress level, that's going to be an entry point into healing my trauma. If we do good interior trauma work, that's going to be an entry point into reducing my stress and cortisol levels. And it's kind of like a circular process. And that's just the two upper quadrants. They're not separate from one another. They're completely coextensive. Does that make sense, you guys? No, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I wanted to add, too, that addressing those uh, elements of the upper right quadrant and viewing it in terms of uh, physical scientific causes of addiction is an important entry point for a lot of people in our culture too who don't have the same positive acceptance of spirituality. Um, there are a lot of people, younger folks in particular, who were raised with a, a scientific mindset and to accept uh, some of these post-enlightenment ideas about the way the world works who don't like spirituality. They never were raised in the church. They don't mm -hmm. embrace the idea of having a relationship with God. And so hearing that addiction is a spiritual problem with spiritual roots and a spiritual solution uh, makes them shy away from accepting any form of treatment. Viewing it from that lens of being a physical problem opens the door for them to begin to seek recovery. So it's really important to start there. And as you guys were both saying it's uh, what happens in one quadrant affects all the other quadrants. Um, Bob, I think it was way back in episode two, you mentioned this, or maybe number three, you mentioned it uh, in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. too. You start with the physical, yes. you're addicted, your body has suffered tremendously, your neurotransmitters, your neurochemicals are all messed up, which not only affects the quantities of those, but your sensitivity to them as well through uh, having fewer receptors for some neurotransmitters and more receptors for others that are not working the way they're supposed to, when we begin to heal the physical body, uh, those things start to get back to normal, which allow us to experience and see psychological issues, trauma, et cetera, the way that we need to in order to deal with it. Um, let me back up here just a little bit more to in talking about these four quadrants and give just kind of an overview here to explain sure. what this is all about. Because we've kind of started talking about the quadrants without really diving into what this model is. And Ken, uh, Ken Wilbur, that is, explains the four quadrants as 
anything in, in the cosmos is the word he uses, which includes the physical universe and everything else, spiritual dimensions, um, all the states of being, anything in the cosmos can be viewed in terms of these four perspectives, uh, which are called the quadrants. And if you picture a graph like you would see in school with the axis, you have interiors and exteriors and singular and plural. So when we talk about the upper right, we are talking about the individual exterior things that can be observed. When we talk about the upper left, we are talking about the individual interior. These are your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, the things that you experience. Uh, down in the lower quadrants, you have the lower right is singular, I'm sorry, it's a interior plural. That's the we quadrant, they call it. And that is the relationships between me and my community, me and my friends, me and my partners. Is that the lower left we're speaking of here? Lower left, correct. Okay. And maybe, maybe uh, you guys can, I'm sure you will both add to this, the lower white right quadrant then is exterior you have, you plural. You have no idea how and we will is, add to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is systems. This is um, technology. This is laws, culture, economics. And all of these things, as we have talked about and will continue to explore in great detail, uh, are both causes of and necessary to resolve addiction yeah. in our lives. And to really interpret any experience that we're having, even ones that are not related to addiction in the least. So this came up for me just yesterday, you guys. I was leading a group in the, the local treatment center, and um, a student asked the question, Bob, when are they going to develop a pill that will knock out addiction? It was a more specific question, but that's the general, that's the general response. Well, you guys know, in the spirit of, of just what you just said, Doug, what the response would be to that. It's like... Uh, as helpful as it would be to have a magic pill, and we've actually made so much progress in terms of an upper right response, a medical response, you can't, you can't uh, ignore the other three quadrants. And that was exactly my response. We fleshed it out. And so we're doing integral work on the fly there. But as soon as I begin talking to this, people resonate because every one of us recognizes all four of those quadrants in, yeah. in our own uh, universe, Doug, the ones that you just named. Very struck by that. None of these students have ever read Ken Wilbur. They don't know integral theory. And within about 10, 15 minutes, we had, we had introduced it in response to that and completely val valorized the upper right-hand quadrant to say a, a pill would be great, but magic, it won't be. But that means that it's going to take care of the others. Right, right. A pill will do something, but it won't, it won't right. fix your fam family. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so let me give you the, let me, the Pam came up with this. As I was explaining it to her, it's very, very in English and like her eyes started to cross. I mean, you know, Ken is, is one of the smarter guys on the planet. Anyway, she says, so the, the upper right, called my body, okay? The uh, upper left, myself, you know, your interior experience of being alive, all that stuff. Your lower left, my people, your relational world, you know? And the lower, the, the lower right could just be the world, you know, the objective out there, the thing you, you know, you get up in, I knock my uh, knee against the desk. It's, it's changing the oil in cars, your bank accounts, your housing, it's food. It's just the out, it's nature, it's society, it's cities and towns and infrastructure. Oh my God, it's that whole out there world. So we got to do work on the body. We have to do work on our interiors. We have to restore 
our relationships or divorce them as the case may be and find healthy families and healthy groups we can be a part of. And then we have to, of course, we have to have food and housing and, and all the stuff to, to do this work. So we're not, you know, we're not in some kind of stressed out survival mode. And what you were saying about the, the incident of, of, of trauma and childhood trauma that, that's co you know, that seems to be the, the foundation for many of us um, is that it, when I talk about the causes of addiction in the book, it's like one of the main things is a chronic ongoing stress, yeah. an unfixable stress. And a lot of that often comes from childhood stuff that happened. And in my years of work in the, the therapeutic wilderness industry, have groups and it said, okay, you know, we, we, we had them together at first, but then we separated the boys and girls. And we, you know, and with the girls, it was almost always 100% of everybody had been molested or, or, or had sex forced on them in an un- way from, you know, family members or somebody along the way. The boys, you'd be surprised how, how much that was there, too. And, and for some reason, with boys, it's even a more shameful thing. They don't want to talk about it. So that's always seems to be very, uh, not always, not 100%, but... Yeah, so there's chronic unrelieved stress, and then the person that lives in that condition, you know, there's constant anxiety, depression, yeah. uh, all of this stuff, fear, and you take the drug, you you know, you smoke the joint, you take the you take the shot of whiskey or whatever, immediate relief. Okay, yeah. it's like, oh yeah. yeah, and boy, often it's off to the races, and and other people believe it or not, for those of uh, you who are, have suffered with this disease don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. It's John, stuff. It's terrible. John, I did an experiment yesterday uh, with, with this group that I lead, and uh, I asked people to, to remember back to their childhoods in terms of uh, 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 any significant stressors. And I said, I want you to remember the first time that you were introduced to substance. And so for most of them, it was 11, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that age range. And then I had them turn to one another and just spoke and diaz to one another. Then we came back to the larger group and debriefed, and there was no one in the room. This is a group of 20 people. There was no one in the room who had a problem with this exercise in terms of, uh, like, what am I going to think of here? Everyone could identify significant stressors of the order of what you just said. And every one of them, it was, we, we shared a sampling of the responses. Every one of them shared with their partner that first experience, the one you just named, my first experience drinking, my first ex- experience smoking weed, whatever, every one of them experienced this relief, this release uh, immediately from the ill effects of the trauma. It was really extraordinary. First time I've ever done that before, it was absolutely universal in the room. Every single person remembered that experience, addressing specifically like self-medicating the after effects of trauma, like you're saying, the stress related to that. It's really extraordinary to me. Yeah, and, and I've read studies that if you can keep uh, young people drug free until they're 25 mm-hmm. or older. That the yeah. at, at that age, uh, the the possibility of becoming addict is just exponentially yeah. reduced. Yeah. I mean, not that you still yeah. can't, but it's hugely reduced. Yeah. Yeah. And in my case, I was uh, man, I was in, I was going for it. You know, 13 and 14, I was starting to smoke pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were starting to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing psychedelics. You know, just anything that come down the pike. And, you know, it was the, it was the, you know, 70, 1970, 71, 72, around there, you know, the sixties kept going until the Vietnam war ended. So it extended into the seventies and I was in, you know, I was rock and roll and growing my long hair and rebelling and just ah, all of this stuff. And then I had this religious conversion that got me this real conservative, uh, uh, religious group that really turned into a funky, toxic, culty thing. Another story for another time. 
However, it did stop my use of drugs completely and alcohol and protected me throughout my, almost all my adolescence, you know, or in, in, and a little beyond. And so besides all the yucky stuff, that was one thing that it just kind of, I mean, cause I was plunging into that and it just got arrested. So that was a, that was a real grace and or dumb luck, however you want to say that in my case. So shall we continue with the quadrant? So we got the body. It's all messed up. We got the interiors. It's all messed up. And we talked about, you know, nutrition, exercise, yoga, uh, strength training, cardio, all these things. We'll, we'll talk about it in detail, the practices that you can do, you know, running around mountains, you know, out in the wilderness. Uh, and the body, of course, you have to have, to have interior practice. So it can be psychotherapy. Uh, you know, I'm the CEO of I Awake. We developed a super meditation um, um, technology that allows you to go in and really uh, – really start healing in, in a deep way from these things and also experiencing your own, your, your, your own, your, I mean, your own personal spiritual life begins to develop, of course, expands out, uh, includes everything eventually. So we have these tools. So with the right, with the right support, with the right coaching, with the right therapist, that we can really do a job on the interior like we couldn't before, because I was trying to teach meditation to addicts before I discovered this technology. And it was just, uh, I wasn't winning the fight. You know, I mean, these guys are really coming like, when are we getting to get to stop? And we were out in the wilderness and great places to meditate. It, it was a little good, but it was definitely not enough. So we got to have to do that. Now we go down to the uh, lower left, which is Doug was saying is the, you know, the lower is the plural, you know, the, the big objective world. We had the little, the, the up in, in the upper right, we had the uh, singular objective body. Then we get the whole objective world. Well, we have the subjective, intra subjective world. Uh, your relationships. And so the classic thing, not only did I work with addicts, but I'm sure this is true, Bob, you work with their families because when you get an addict, everybody's devastated. There's all kinds of things. And so you have to, uh, you have to do a lot of repair work there, you know, and you can't, you know, if you have, a, you've divorced your family, you've come to this whole druggy world and all this stuff. Well, when you get, you know, when you get out of treatment, you can't go back and hang out with all your you know, your drug buddies or your drinking buddies or your doper buddies or whatever. It's just, you know, you have, you know, you're not going to last five minutes. So there's all this relational stuff. And then you have to go back and heal the essential relationship that you portrayed and hurt through your, you know, your addictive behaviors and, and find a support group of people that are like-minded that are focusing on the same thing that can lift you up and you can lift each other up and, and heal together. Yeah. And no matter how introverted you are, humans are relational creatures and it's important for, for us to go back and find those communities and groups to, I don't know, repair some of that damage that we've done. We're not meant to be alone, even when we need to be alone to recharge. And getting back in and building those right new relationships when we have the opportunity to and repair the things that have gone wrong uh, is critical to recovery as well. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, the uh, Vietnamese uh, Buddhist monk. We've talked about him before. Thich Nhat Hanh, he says, uh, it's not that we are, we, we enter our. I love that sentiment. We enter our, uh, how that's been picked up in contemporary psychology. In the last 20 years, we finally have brain scan technology that's sophisticated enough that uh, I'll tell you, I'll, when I meet with the clients at the treatment center, I'll, I'll ask them, I'll, it's a trick question. I'll say, you guys, where's, where's our brain? And now they've been trained enough to know but we start with, you know, the brain is here. It's inside my skull. And then I introduced them to the work of Stephen Porges and others that, that suggest that our brain is radiates, our nervous system radiates significantly down into our gut. 
They were referred to as the gut brain mm. and the heart, the heart brain, the vagal nerves and so on. But the more radical thing that comes out of uh, more recent brain scans is this business of inter-R is that our brains are shared. So Doug, I'm looking at your photograph right now and I'm getting to know you and I know John well, is that my brain is completely in interaction with both of yours and it's, and it's really not accurate anymore to say that my brain resides even inside my body. It's, it's in the intersubjective space is one of the terms that's used for it. There's a whole field dedicated to this now called interpersonal neurobiology. And how it, what it studies is that in addition, for example, let's apply this to, to uh, uh, working with uh, addiction and recovery, is that so much of the work we need to do is to learn how to self-regulate. And so I, I apply John's I awake technology. I practice my, my meditation in the morning. I have quiet time, devotional readings. All of that is absolutely essential to uh, right the imbalances as a, that are a function of addiction, long-term addiction, being in recovery. But now with the advent of interpersonal neurobiology, we have to also address, and this is a lower left-hand quadrant move, we have to address what is referred to as co-regulation, so self-regulation is not sufficient. So when I talk about co-regulation with, with the, the clients I work with you guys, certainly it relates to their families and when they go back to their community uh, it, for, the, for the treatment progress to be generalized, we've got to address that. But I'll hold them to the, I'll hold them to the fire. The group that we're meeting in right now, you, you guys, this may be the only group that you know where there's not active shaming going on, that, that, people, aren't, that people aren't deserting one another for the fact that they're in recovery, much less we're formerly addicted. <clears throat> so co-regulation is happening right now in any group situation. And so I, it's come to be almost like a formula for me. What are you doing for self-regulation? And what can we do to support your co-regulation? And the two of those together are required. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's an integral move then, is that yeah. recovery has to include both the individual and the collective domains for it to be effective. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the uh, things about a healthy AA group. You know, I've been in yeah. AA groups. It's like... Yeah. Well, I mean, out of here, you know, I want to go drink, even though I don't drink, you know, it's like, first thing, and then you go into other ones, and, and they're so beautiful, you, you walk in, John, you know, oh, you've been brother, and it's immediately my, my brain chemistry, you know, yeah. my heart opens, and it's yeah. just tremendous, and you're there with, and, and in a good group, you know, I, it's really hard for me not to sob. I mean, you know, you have these people from all different walks of life. There's this deep democracy of the addicted, you know, and they, whether they come from educated, yeah. privileged, underclass, this, that, ethnic, gay, straight, doesn't matter. But they're struggling. They're trying to be honest and trying to save their lives and trying to green their lives and, 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 and behave and, and be a good human being and get their, their souls back, if you will. I find that incredibly moving. And yeah. uh, I was down taking care of my parents for almost two years down in Texas, and they went to this really conservative Episcopal church. You know, and it's like, you know, I'm such a, I'm such a martyr. <laughs> you know, these, I don't like church. And anyway, after, after a while, and afterwards we had coffee and we'd meet with all these people and all the older young people. Anyway, I really grew to love these people yeah. really deeply and I miss them, yeah. you know, and my, my little conservative, you know, Episcopal church in, you know, Wharton, Texas uh, became, I just really began to appreciate. And I, they, they had a, uh, uh, just a, little another you can do the zombie sound if you want um <laughs> they had a, a secondhand store where they people would donate stuff and they'd sell it and they'd give it to the poor which is really cool and i bought this desk that i needed to do my work at my parents house and they had uh got two two of the guys from the church were almost 90 and this black old black guy that was like the same age and they were helping with this huge old third hand old desk get it in the back of the pickup and i said 
guys, you're going to kill yourself. Stop this. You know, and your elders, you know, you're these wonderful old men. And if I kill you at my stupid desk, I'm going to have to leave town and change my name. And they struggle so hard. And I was, it was some, just a moment of the, just their kindness and their, the beauty of their souls were just amazing. And so, yeah, we need each other. We need, and we need each other to show up in the best way we can. And I think that's a lot of the work that we do in Interpol Recovery is to try to make ourselves worthy of everybody else and then we pull each other up you know so yeah that could be a significant obstacle too is not feeling that you're worthy to go out and relate with others and so that's you know upper left you fix the upper left so that you can get down into the lower left and another example of how all four of these quadrants work together and that and that lower left work actually may be necessary to do the upper left work in other words is that uh I may just need one person that sees me without judgment in order to do the kind of healing work up in the upper left that will make it possible for me to reach out to my, my family, let's say something like that. So they're so uh, integrally woven. So anyway, uh, hey, so also a little announcement. We're going to be starting a, an integral recovery course. You guys want to say anything about it? Well, so uh, what we're doing, first of all, is we have a master class coming up that's going to be totally free for everybody. And we're going to take two hours to go through, through the entire integral recovery model that we're talking about here and get you guys all up to speed on the whole thing so that you have better context to understand some of these podcasts. Um, there will be uh, more along those lines in the future for people who really want to dive deeper with it. But here on the podcast, we're, a little bit freewheeling and fun and we venture off in all different directions, which is great because there's so much to talk about here. But uh, this, this masterclass, we'd like you all to come join us and get your head around the whole model totally free. It's going to be a lot of fun and uh, we'll have a link for you to, to come and sign up. So please do that. Uh, visit us on the website, integralrecoveryinstitute.com for more information about that. Awesome. And, and they said I can come, but I'll be duct taped in the corner. <laughs> So, so we can get through it in that amount of time. So anyway, it's been great, guys. And please uh, email if you have any questions. And we're also going to have live things that you can actually come and participate and talk to us uh, down the road. But if you have any, you'll see the email there. Send us any questions you have about this or anything else. Also, there's coaching available if you need support. Um, or if you need to get into a treatment center or whatever, uh, that's usually the first step. If you're, you know, pretty down far down the road or you're listening to this, not for yourself, but for a loved one or somebody, um, that needs it. So anyway, thank you so much for checking in and we'll be back next week. All right. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the journey of integral recovery podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.